Great, thank you. Well, it's really wonderful to be with you. Good to see you all, um, person here or at home on the live stream. I'd love it if you could um, keep Proverbs 22 open in front of you. I was asked to speak on the theme of family from Proverbs, and well, it's difficult to ask to know how to handle Proverbs, I've got to be honest, and grappled with that, but decided to focus in on, on chapter 22, but we will look at a few other little bits as we go with it as well. And as we start um, talking about a topic like family, let me just say I, I am very aware that it's quite an emotive one. It can be an emotive one because of, well, family members who are no longer around. Maybe lost parents, maybe lost children, or maybe those where we, we'd love to have had children and haven't been able to, and it can, for all sorts of reasons, be difficult because those we feel are missing. It can also be pretty hard for those we know are present, for actually we live in a broken world and relationships can be difficult. And therefore it can be difficult for those reasons as well. So I'm conscious of that. I probably don't know all the, the details in your particular life, but the Lord knows. And I've been praying to that, that he would speak words of encouragement to us, words of wisdom to us this afternoon as we look at Proverbs together. And whilst there will be areas where I'll be tailoring with very specific application, I take it that for the most part, those specific applications will be generally applicable in the areas of uh, the circumstances you find yourselves in. Let's pray as we come to look at this together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a good father. We thank you that in Christ we're part of your family and we're blessed by that and you instill wisdom to us through your word and spirit. And we pray this afternoon that you might do that for us in power that we might see things rightly, rejoice in your truth, be empowered by you to live it out. So we pray for your blessing and your word to come to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here's a question, and uh, I do want to respond. Hands up if you've heard about yesterday. Is it only Eric that's heard about yesterday? Uh, maybe some people are shy to put their hands up. Yesterday, I only found out about it recently when my two eldest children came back from coming back with their grandparents and they'd watched the film Yesterday. Well, for everyone else's benefit, apart from Eric, let me tell you about Yesterday. It's where your parents say yes to everything their children ask for for 24 hours. Parents say yes to everything their children ask for for 24 hours. Now, does that sound like a good idea? Let me say, I don't think it's a good idea even to watch the film, because as a parent, you've got the advantage of, you know where all this is heading. So I don't even recommend to watch it. And one of the things that it struck me just watching, I, I did put myself through it, having learned that my children had watched this. Um, one of the things that struck me was, it's brought on a premise that parents are there to make their children's lives miserable. I think that's the, the premise, you know, the film. It, here's a quote from the film. Yesterdays are like fun, and mum and dad are like fun killers. There's a quote from the film, right? Now, we're looking at Proverbs, and I wonder, actually, if our culture has that attitude towards God. You know, living life for yourself is like fun, but God, and living his way, he's the fun killer. 
Well, Proverbs speaks wisdom to us to say he's not a fun killer. Actually, the way it goes is, first point, you can see it up there, I've put all the points there together so we can see where we're going, but it's this, wise living is the way to go. I don't think it takes too long to work out the foolishness of yesterday. As a parent, you know it just from hearing it just then. My children, fortunately, did come back and go, yeah, actually, it wasn't such a good idea, having watched the film. So it doesn't take too long to work that out. Children, what do you, how do you want to spend your holiday? I want to eat sweets all day and watch TV. Sounds like, you know, a good idea at the start, but hey, it turns out, you know, when you've got an obesity crisis, you're irritable because you watch telly all day, your eyes hurt. It's not such a good idea. And maybe parents' plan for the holiday might work out a bit better. And you know, part of wisdom is seeing what is coming. We have a trampoline in our back garden. It is disintegrating, and I can't get hold of the kind of replacement supplies for it because it's all out of stock with COVID. The reason you put a net round it, though, is particularly for our two-year-old, they'll just toddle along on the trampoline and just walk straight off the edge because they just won't see the edge coming. As you grow up, though, you start seeing what's coming. And here's the thing. You look at Proverbs 22, verse 3. Someone prudent or someone wise sees the danger coming. But someone simple or foolish doesn't see it coming. The prudent, therefore, will take action that will steer around the danger. They'll take refuge. The foolish won't because they won't see it coming. Now, as we think about the application of working out that verse 3, what is it to see the danger and be wise and steer around that? Well, Proverbs is full of loads of helpful truths. You know, you look at uh, you know, various different things in there. They talk about the sluggards. Yeah, if you're going to be lazy, you'll reap the consequences of that. It's not a good idea. There's general things as you're, you're walking along in, in life that, well, if you live the foolish life, it'll trip you up on the way. Ultimately, that is the ultimate destination. Do you know, in Proverbs, it teaches us you reap what you sow. We see that in chapter 22 and verse 8. A very different translation, but here you go. Sow wickedness, you reap trouble. Or verse 14, the adulterous. If you go down that route, it's described as a pit. You reap what you sow. There are consequences to actions. And as we consider the theme of family, how many families have been ruined by adultery? I mean, you take the recent example with Matt Hancock, where two families devastated by that. And maybe just having that concept of verse 3, of seeing the danger coming would help, wouldn't it? Just not living in the moment for a few minutes and thinking, oh, well, actually, what is this going to look like? If I behave like this now, what is that going to look like in a year's time? In the case of adultery, reaping the consequences of that for a lifetime. One of the things in Proverbs we see very strongly is that marriage faithfulness is the way that leads to flourishing. As we talk about this uh, area, though, of reaping what we sow, we, we do have to bear in mind in this world, as well as reaping what we sow, there is that relationship, we also reap what others sow. You know, Matt Hancock's family reap what he has sown in that. 
See, Proverbs teaches us the wise way to live in God's world, that it may go well with us. The ultimate wisdom, though, is that that destination of where things are heading. That God rules the world. Ultimately, we'll stand before him in judgment. So what do you see going right the way throughout Proverbs? It starts in chapter 1, verse 7. It goes throughout the book. You've got it there in chapter 22, verse 4. If God rules the world, how should we live wisely is to fear the Lord. And Proverbs certainly alludes to the trouble of where you end up if you ignore God when you live in his world. The rest of the Bible spells it out pretty clearly. That we'll end up standing before him in judgment. Where whilst in this life we don't always fully reap what we sow, at that point it will be total. We'll reap what we sow. And what wise living does is it, it sees that that's where we're heading and takes refuge. Now what does that mean for us? I think after Jesus has come, the, the, the New Testament equivalent of fearing the Lord is to repent and believe the good news. See, it's the truth that Jesus, as God, has seen us in the mess that we've made of things, living in God's world, ignoring him, and he steps in into, as God. He becomes a man, fully God and fully man, and he goes to a cross to die on that cross to take our punishment, that he can call us to follow him, that we might know forgiveness. That we might be welcomed into God's family. That ultimately what happens is we take refuge in Jesus so that we avoid the calamity, the danger that is coming. And then, then we seek to live under God's rule now. Knowing that the wise life is better. Let me just take you back for a moment to Genesis chapter 3. So God has created the world, the first human beings are there. Adam and Eve, and they live in paradise. It's perfect. And yet the serpent, the devil, comes along and says, oh, you know, it's it's not actually that good. God's restrictive. Did did he really say not to eat from the fruit? He paints God as this restrictive character who wants to keep things from them, and they buy the lie. And they eat the fruit, and of course things happen. They don't go very well, and some of it they could have predicted. If they believed God's word... They could have known that, well, eat this fruit and you will surely die. That's what happens. It happens in their relationship with God, and it happens in them physically dying. But it's not just what they could have predicted. It's all the things that maybe they couldn't have predicted. Suddenly they feel shame. Suddenly there's work is hard work. There's conflict in relationships. And if you went to Adam and Eve and go, well, do you think it's worked out well at that point when they've been thrown out of the garden? It's all too clear. And yet in the moment, it seems like a good idea. And what Proverbs does is give us that perspective to say, follow God and his ways, and it will work out better. Because wise living is the way to go. But our problem is we're naturally foolish. That's our problem. Verse 15, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. And of course, kind of... We can see numerous examples. I mean, you can YouTube kind of children behaving foolishly, can't you, with that? But if we haven't learned the wise way, that will be true of us as well. And we need to be clear that when Proverbs, and you'll have seen it as part of the series, when Proverbs is talking about wisdom, it's not talking about being intelligent and having a high IQ. It's talking about 
living with God in charge. And so foolishness is to ignore God, live in his world and ignore him. And what this shows us is our natural starting point is that, that we will live in God's world and ignore him. See, we, we might often look at a young child, we go, you know, there's a little angel. It doesn't take too long for that to be kind of exploded as an idea, does it? The illusion is shattered all too quickly that little children are not angels and neither are any of us. See, our culture might want to push a way of thinking that says people are fundamentally good, but it's pretty hard to stack that up with reality. Parents work that out only too quickly. The Bible is much more realistic about our natural starting point that folly is caught up in us, that we naturally turn away from God. We naturally go our selfish ways and live for self to the detriment of others and we see to the detriment of ourselves. See, folly is naturally caught up in us and therefore what should we do? What should we do about that? Well, the answer we get in Proverbs 22, verse 6, is start or, or train them in the way they should go. Folly is caught up in, in a, the heart of a child, set them off on a different path. Or verse 15, discipline them. That has the sense of instruction, correction. It might involve punishment, because part of what punishment does is it reminds them of the path they're going down, where it's going to end up. And everyone has a role to play in that. For children, the primary role will be the parents, but everyone can have an influence on one another in this. It's generally applicable to steer one another in the right path. So you hear stories about um, you know, the person who's influenced. Maybe it's a helpful question. To, who, who's influenced you most in kind of wisdom in the Christian life? And yeah, it might be parents. Sometimes it's the most... You know, obscure person you might think of, it might be you know, an old widower who just took interest in a child. We all have a role to play in this. Do you know, as parents though, we can be afraid to discipline. We don't want to be the fun killers, do we? We don't want that reputation. So we might be afraid to do it, but there's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake. So if you glance into chapter 23 and verses 13 to 14, we see the stakes are high. You know, what, what's at stake here? It's death. By disciplining a child, you're seeking to save their soul from death. Folly is bound up in the heart, so they're heading for that danger, and therefore they need to be trained to walk a different path. I'm reading one parent book I just found immensely helpful. Just saying, you're not there to be your children's friends, particularly when they're young. I hope, uh, you know, when they grow up, I'll be friends with them. I hope there'll be a little bit of friendship now, but it's slightly liberating to go, I'm not their friend now, I'm their teacher. So I can afford to be not liked, seeking to steer them in the right way. And as we seek to steer them in the right way, what is that way? It is fear of the Lord. There's lots of general kind of steering them and, you know, teaching them not to be lazy and so on that Proverbs talks about. Lots of the little things that trip them up in this life. But ultimately, it's that avoiding that final pit, that final danger 
to make them fit for standing before God, to live life in fear of the Lord. So we want to train our children in that way. But it might not come naturally. I've had a number of occasions where um, it's just cropped up. It's been talking to people who are, are Christians, and I don't know whether it's partly because of the role that I do and that comes up. And people have suddenly started saying, well, I, you know, I've got my own beliefs, but I, I let my children make up their own minds. Excuse me. So, well, I, so I don't teach them anything. I'm going to let them make up their own minds. And I try not to let the body language give too much away for what is just completely an untenable, untenable position, isn't it? You know, no one goes, I don't mind whether my children join a drugs gang or not. You know, we know that's a bad idea. We know that will significantly shorten their life expectancy, that it's not going to work out well. What do we do? We strongly steer them away from that. Proverbs teaches us there's more at stake in how they relate to God. See, naturally, we all head away from God, and so we want to be steering our children towards him to live life under his rule. Because as they go to school, as they engage in social media with their peers, they will be encouraged in a different direction. The Bible tells us to impress on our children that life is to be lived under his rule. And that it's a good rule. And that without that, it's not the natural path they will take. So parents and others, for everyone to each other, as we have opportunity... Start your children the way they should go. Now, before I say a little bit more about what that might look like, I'm aware of all our different circumstances. Some of us are kind of parenting now, exhausted by that. Others may have grown up children and so on. And there can be a massive amount of guilt in this area. What do we do with that? The Bible teaches to rest our failures in God's grace. You know, actually, it's really hard work, isn't it? Seeking to disciple our children. There's not much more exposing, I think, actually, of our, our own sin than a, a difficult child in that. And when we fail in that, what do we do with it? We come to the cross of Jesus and we rest our failures there. And we can leave them there. And it's that truth that allows me to get up and speak this afternoon. Because already today I've failed in aspects of my parent. I've been irritable with my children unfairly at times. We rest our failures at the cross of Christ. And at that point I want to say, it's like health warning if you want to go out and buy the you know, parenting books. Just be very wary of the ones of kind of ten ways to be a great parent. Because if, if they don't start in weakness and looking to God... They're going to lead you in a foolish path. And as we think about this, you know, parenting has a role. We, we do reap what we sow. It has a role. It has an important role. But let's be clear, it's not the only one and it's not the most important. Now think about a child. Why are they or aren't they walking with the Lord? Well, as we go to somewhere like Ephesians 2, what does it tell us? It tells us, as we are in our natural state, we are dead in our sins. None of us, therefore, have the power to bring life. Ephesians tells us what will? God, through Christ, by his grace, so that no one can boast. See, there are factors going on that we cannot control. 
And therefore we rest in that. And when our children are walking with the Lord, we praise God for that. For he has brought life where we are not able to. Maybe your child has um, turned away and that's heartbreaking in that. Maybe you've done a faithful job in that because, see, there, there are things that we can't control. We cannot control their hearts. What do we do with that? We bring it before the Lord. However much we might have failed in that, however good job, the Lord is able to bring life. And so we come before him and we pray in that because we can't, but God can. But what we do then is carry on. We do still reap what we sow and we seek to train our children in the way they should go. And maybe in the real difficulties we are facing, God is using those to teach us to turn to him. One of the more helpful parenting books I've read is called Give Them Grace. And uh, it says this, desperation, It says this, desperation creates praying parents. The Lord is kind to us to make us desperate for him. But when we feel desperate, we frequently don't pray. There's another point, isn't it? Actually, God puts, puts us in circumstances we can't handle so that we turn to him. And in that we turn, we despair. And I know that's true. There's an encouragement for us to turn to him in that. There's an encouragement for all of us as we, we look at others, maybe thinking oh, they're going in a path that's not a good path to go, to pray in that. That's one of the key applications for us. That we regularly pray for one another in this. But let me say in this a bit more about what, what this training of starting our children off in the way they should go might look like. Now, I'm very conscious I'm not an expert. My children are 11, 6, and 2. I haven't hit the teenage years yet. Uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of learning that goes on through those years. And as we uh, apply this, bear in mind that each child is different. If you've got more than one child with different temperaments, you'll appreciate this. What works well with one doesn't, doesn't necessarily work well with another. Again, I, I remember reading a parent book um, early on when I became a parent that was just really help us say, who is the best person to parent your children? It's not the experts. It's the person who knows them best. And that hopefully is their parents. So in this, just maybe work out what the comments might mean for you. And again, it's generally applicable across the board to other circumstances as well. Sometimes there are real issues of you know, a need for wisdom maybe when you hit the teenage years and they don't profess faith and that can be quite difficult. And there, there are times when they're really young when just keeping them alive is about all you can hope to achieve. But, you know, over the course of time, here are a few things, I think, to try and impress on our children in bringing them up in fear of the Lord. The first thing is to fear the Lord ourselves. To love God isn't it? To walk before God ourselves. There'll be a, quite a lot that, a, probably a lot more that is caught rather than taught. Proverbs 22 verse 9 talks about generosity. I would suggest that influencing our children in that direction, far more will be achieved by us being generous than telling them and teaching them to be generous in that. Some of what means walking before, Lord in, before the Lord in front of the means is repenting before them. See, as we mess up, we repent before God. As we mess up to our children, it does mean repenting to them and asking for their forgiveness. 
I'd suggest for our children, if we haven't asked for their forgiveness at points, something's gone wrong along the way, and it's never too late to put that right. It's pretty humbling as an adult to come before a child and ask for their forgiveness, but that's what living in fear of the Lord, walking before him, looks like. As we mess up, we repent before God, and we repent before those that we've wronged. And some part of it is putting our own idols to death in that, isn't it? We can have our own idols that we seek to foster onto our young people. Success, education, immediate happiness. But as we grasp hold of eternity and where it's heading, we live that and we impress that on our children, that we disciple them with eternity in mind. So living before God, loving him, fearing the Lord ourselves. And that's obviously true for all of us, whatever our circumstances, is to live in fear of the Lord that Proverbs teaches us to do. And then they're seeking to help them in this. It's a massive challenge. See, there's the never-ending to-do list. There's never a good time to do it. But Proverbs encourages us to, to make time, to make it a priority. There is a sense of, this isn't found in my work, by the way, but the, the, the stitch in time saves nine. It's worth investing when they're young. But if, by God's grace, it's never too late, but it is definitely worth going when they're young. Because, well, Proverbs 15, verse 20. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish man despises his mother. So, you know, as we've said... There's not a total correspondence in this life between reaping what we sow, but there is some correspondence. It's worth taking the time now to instill wisdom into our children. When do we do that? Deuteronomy 6, 7 to 9 gives us some idea around that. I've put that on the slide there. It's in the general course of life. You know, when you sit at home, when you walk along the roads, it's putting reminders around the house. Now, what might this mean for us? I'm going to focus more in on the, the parents here. Being conscious of what I said right at the start, that might be painful for some in that. But there will be things here that are generally applicable across all relationships. Here are some comments. Building habits that points to God. One of the ones I think I caught from my parents was just giving thanks every mealtime. Just that point to stop and go, I've got a creator who's provided for me. Every time we kind of a meal, it points us to him. I think that's a really helpful one. Or letting reading the Bible and prayer be a daily thing wherever you can to let God's word do it, its work. I remember when our eldest daughter was just a few months old, we weren't doing anything with her at that point. I remember hearing someone say, I read the Bible every day with my children from the day of their birth because I didn't want a day to go by where they weren't blessed by hearing the word of God. I thought, wow, okay, I'm not sure how much Lizzie understands at two months old, but we adopted it, that, and I think that's been a really helpful thing for us to do, because there never comes a point there where you're wondering whether they understand or not. And do you know what? As this has gone on, this is far from easy. Um, we have 11, 6, and 2. Doing a family Bible time, man, it's chaotic. We, kind of, we did try and do it on holiday recently again, but um, for the most part... I do three separate ones in an evening. On a Thursday, my wife Teresa's out at work and doesn't get back in until kind of nine o'clock at night. So I'm there trying to do it. And it, you know, it's a case of going right, get tea done, get the pots done. And the only way I've tried to get this to work is to go right, I put 
both boys in the bath. I remove the, uh, the bath mat immediately at that point um, as I try and then do a Bible time with my daughter. We just read the Bible together for a few minutes. We often get interrupted. When I go back, I've got the mop on hand already to mop up the bathroom floor at that point. I then get both boys out, get them downstairs, give the youngest milk while I do Bible time with our middle child. And then to do our youngest, I stick him in his cot because otherwise he'll run away from me. And I don't want him to run away from the word of God. And do you know what? It's messy. That's okay. Every time I try and do it, and that's a, a daily thing, maybe not quite as chaotic as that when my wife's around, it's hard work. Why do I feel so overwhelmingly tired when it comes to try and do, do that? Well, Ephesians teaches us it's spiritual warfare. Shouldn't be surprised to find it difficult. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Proverbs teaches us wise living, training our children in the way they should go. Now, it won't look like that for you. But there are principles there of instilling, reading God's word and praying together, whatever your circumstances, and making it doable. I don't try an hour-long session with my children. It's probably maximum 20 minutes for all three put together. But we need God's words to shape our lives in that. Um, there's a, a book called Before You Open God's Word. There's a really brutal comment in that that says, you know, the internet... Social media, our kind of records on that, will prove that there is time to do it. Brutal comment, isn't it? But true, it is all about what we prioritise. If we say, I just haven't got time to do it, probably you can get, you know, on my phone, it tells me how long I've spent looking at BBC Sport in a week. It tells me there is time to do it. And if, um, if you want you know, help in thinking about what materials are helpful in that, I'm sure you've got wisdom here. Talk to one another. I'm more than happy um, to help in whatever way I can with that. But as well as the kind of bits where you sit down with your children, it means making the most of the opportunities that are already there. Sat down at mealtimes, car journeys, just all those kind of things where you can talk through the difficulties. You know, bringing a Christian mindset into the conversations, encouraging them to look to God, to trust in him, encouraging them to be a good friend, to look out for those who are ignored. Yet as we do it, we bear in mind their age, maturity, whether they profess faith or not. But we seek to speak Christian wisdom that God has given us into those circumstances. That we're not just seeking for them ease and instant happiness the gospel doesn't teach us that path but to engage with the hardship to understand that god has put us in the specific circumstances that we're in to teach us things and in those circumstances therefore to lift our eyes to god and so we pray with our children with one another as we face that it's wonderful thing about it on numerous occasions where you pray one day and god has answered it by the next day that's good for them to see, isn't it? It's really wonderful for us to see as well. And in those conversations, it's encouraging, to, you know, engaging with them, listening, ask questions, to delve, encourage. Again, brace yourself for a, uh, a brutal comment here, okay? Here's what one writer writes. He says, when our children are little, we often fail to engage them in significant conversations. We respond with uninterested, uh-huh, Maybe it's because we're actually more engaged with our phones at that point. 
When they become teenagers, the tables turn. We want their attention, but they've learned, already learned the lesson that we've taught them to ignore us for their phones. Now, God's grace, it's never too late with all of that, is it? I read that and went, ouch. So you need to start engaging them, engaging with them and not being distracted by everything else. And it's tempting, particularly as a parent, youth group leader, all those things, just to um, focus on outward behaviour. Focus on outward behaviour. But to train them in fear of the Lord is is deeper than outward behaviour. The same writer, uh, he gives the example, son has just been bought a new pair of trainers. The son is crying over these new pair of trainers that have been bought because they are what his friends have got. But they're what you could afford. He says, well, they're what you could afford and they're a perfectly good pair of trainers. What do you do at that point? Do you start laying into them? You know, this is, this is all I could afford. I work hard. They're a perfectly good pair of trainers and, and this is the thanks that I get? Or do you actually ask the questions and get to the heart of the matter? What is the problem? You know, why are you crying? And it turns out that what they're crying about is what they think their friends will say. And then you start engaging with the real issue of that. Is there a sin issue? Is there a maturity issue around that? Is there a weakness issue? And you start engaging about the whole issue and living life before God in that. And when they mess up, we take them to the gospel. It's tempting, it's just... I find it kind of tempting when they're kind of really messed up and you're kind of cross about it. You can always kind of be distant in the relationship. I've got to apply the gospel to myself. That's not how God treats me. That's not how we treat when they mess up. We reassure them of God's love and our love for them in that. And when we mess up, it's the same for ourselves, isn't it? And I, I think not insisting on immediate repentance Sometimes it can be a bit, right, kind of, you know, we're going to say sorry and you kind of move on, but it's not really heartfelt, but actually going, let me give you time, we've talked about it, let me give you time to go away and think about this, and then come back for heartfelt repentance in that. And, you know, as part of all this, it's really hard, isn't it? We look to God to help us, but there is a sense of engaging with culture properly. Um, there's a point where our culture is influencing our young people in massive ways. Their peers, social media, school, just all of these things. And we need to help steer them through that. And there is a point in there between kind of being in a, in a kind of the monastery, nunnery type thing where we just don't allow any exposure to the culture to, well, just fair game, we'll let them be exposed to whatever we like. I remember um, listening to a seminar that our church put on. It was parenting in a sex-mad world. Our eldest was seven at the time. And they said, look, if you haven't started talking to your children about sex by the time they're eight, you will not be taking the initiative as parents. I was like, wow, that sounds really early to me. I was planning on it much later than that. But we, we heeded the advice, sure enough, they hit eight. And uh, there were conversations coming back from the playground. The parents' WhatsApp was bringing it up. Actually, listening to other wisdom to help us engage with culture in that, that we are taking the initiative with our children in these areas. You know, as you watch TV together, so as my children and I learn and have come back and watched yesterday, I do put myself through that. 
to then be able to engage with them in it. There's so much on TV that just teaches absolute nonsense. You know, you kind of get your celebrities up there and you go, you know, what's your message for people? Well, I've, I've worked really hard to get where I am and if you work really hard, you can get there as well. And you say, well, what, what do you think about that message? See, there's a person who's kind of been blessed with kind of, you know, at the Olympics, kind of peak physical fitness. Do you think, how do you think someone who is born disabled in a third world country is going to receive that message? It's absolute nonsense. And we help them work through the nonsense that they will hear on the TV, in social media, on their songs, as the song lyrics go, you light up the world like nobody else. You go, who lights up the world? It's pretty clear in Genesis 1, isn't it? Actually, if you want to look to another human being to light up the world, you are destined for disappointment. You look to God, well, Proverbs teaches us the wise way to live in that, and we engage with the culture that we live in. And we aim to steep them in that mindset of Christian thinking, to be more influential through God's word and his spirit on our young people than what they're getting elsewhere. And that's what Proverbs and God's word as a whole helps us do with God's help as he is at work. And we don't just do that on our own. We do that in a community together, a church community together. So it's good to be part of that, isn't it? Good to be helping one another in that. Well, so this is not just a, a parent-child thing, is it? Part of it is encouraging relationships with one another that help us. So Proverbs 13, verse 20, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, it doesn't mean that we have no non-Christian friends, does it? We're supposed to be out there, salt and light in the world. It does mean we need Christian friendships, relationships that will help us and steer us down that wise path. And so we gather as a church. We show hospitality to one another in that, that we can have those conversations alongside one another. For our young people, youth groups are helpful in that, the camps are helpful in that, and we help one another in community. See, wisdom is the way to go, but we're naturally foolish. So we train one another in the way that we should go in fear of the Lord. And as we feel our inadequacy in that, we come before God and ask for his help in praying to him. Now, here's our um, final point, which is particularly kind of heads up, okay, to the, the, the children here on that. But it, again, it's generally applicable. Here it is. Listen to your parents. Now, of course, ultimately, it is about listening to God, right? That's where wisdom to be found is to be found. Um, as we live for him, we seem that is the best way to go. Do you know, as a teenager, I mean, it was a while ago for me, I can't remember a little bit about what that, that's like. It's easy to look down on your parents. And of course, our parents do make mistakes. They're not perfect. They will get it wrong at points. But here, here it is, right? So clearly, if you're, they're trying to teach you a way that goes against God's way, that's not so good. But I take it the fact that you're here probably suggests that isn't the case. See, you might come to a point in the future, maybe when you're a parent yourself, where you think, oh, hang on, this parenting lark, it's actually much harder than you imagine it would, it would, it would be as a teenager. 
One of the signs of maturity is understanding what we don't know and having a humility in that. And could it be for those older than us, parents, others, that years walking with the Lord means they've got wisdom to distill to us? Could it be that? See, that the Bible suggests so in that. It's not in maybe, you know, you'll be miles ahead in how it's, you know, what the latest smartphone is, how to operate it, all of those things. But in the things that really matter, in walking in fear of the Lord, that will make a difference for eternity, here's what Proverbs encourages us to do in chapter 6, 20 to 23. My son, keep your father's commands. Take it, there's the assumption here that the commands are in, in walking in fear of the Lord. My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them always on your heart. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. For this command is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. See, it's encouraging to listen to God and his word. And those who will lead us in that direction. Actually, the result of that is you'll bring joy to your parents, Proverbs teaches, rather than sorrow. And so listen, because of where everything is heading. Ultimately, to face our maker. And so fear the Lord and take refuge in Jesus and live the wise life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you that we can come before you in prayer, conscious of our own weakness in all of this. We thank you that ultimate wisdom comes from you. We thank you for the rescue in Jesus. We pray we'd see our need of that and repent and believe that good news and live the rest of life under your rule, living the wise life. Forgive us, Lord, for where we make a mess of this. We pray for your help and your power to live it out, Lord. We pray, Lord, for where we've failed in that and carry guilt. Help us to leave that at the cross. We pray for family members who are not walking in that way and pray for your mercy on them to draw them back to yourself. And we pray you'd empower us to live that wise life and live for you, seeing clearly living joyfully, knowing that you are there, not as a fun killer, but a life giver. We thank you so much for Jesus and all the blessings that we have in him. Help us to rejoice in that and live that out, we pray. Great joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.